Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC football. Let's go. Happy Monday after Thanksgiving, everyone, and welcome into the Gramlich and McLean podcast, episode 129. We have an ACC championship game. Rivalry week has ended, and it was epic in the ACC and beyond. And we are officially in championship week. It's, it's championship season. It's the holiday season. Mac, it, it can't get any better than it is right now. This is my favorite time, KG, of the entire year. Rivalry week and then championship week. And then Selection Sunday. This is the best. There's nothing else better than this. And and I think really what Rivalry Week just continued to confirm, show us, was that the fact that college football is the best sport in America. It's the best. In the world. In the galaxy, guys. In the universe. It's the best. It's unbelievable. Because you never know what you're going to get. You truly never do. And there's so many great rivalries. There's so many great games this past weekend It was just so fun to watch, to just be able to sit back, watch football, talk about football. It was great. It was great. And so I had a wonderful weekend. I hope you did as well. I did too, Mac. It was Saturday was packed. I know we had the UNC NC State game on Friday, but and then I think the Egg Bowl was Thursday. There was some NFL, of course, but Saturday was an absolutely insane day in the ACC. I saw a statistic that every, um, I don't know if this is true or not. Every Power 5 team played another Power 5 team. Like, it was just nuts. Oh, yeah, F- that maybe would make FBS, sense. Maybe FBS. It was just like, it was just a loaded weekend. And I don't think that's rarely happened or ever happened. Um, but that's just nuts. There was so much great football. It had to be Power 5 because you have these rivalry games. There's, there's no Power 5 team out there that's not playing another Power 5 rival. So that's the best part about this. And I think BYU excluded, even though they are the champions of the Pac-12. But Mac, (laughs) what's even more exciting, we're going to get into these games and break them all down. We have, we finally have an ACC championship game. It is the 10-2 Pittsburgh Panthers against the 10-2 Wake Forest Demon Deacons. There is not a soul on globe, in the universe, in any form of human history that's ever existed, that predicted this, Mac. There's no one out there. That's what's been so fun about this season in the ACC. I agree with you. And, and this game should be tremendous. You know, I, I posted the uh, – there was a ticket link that I posted on my Instagram story. And I had so many people, like, come at me saying, oh, it's going to be a boring game. It's going to be a terrible game. Are you and kidding? Then I, then I click on their profiles, and it's Clemson and NC State fans. And so I'm yeah, like, okay, yeah. you're just mad. You're upset that you're not going to be there. This game is going to be fantastic, and I cannot wait to watch it. You've got two unbelievable offenses in Pittsburgh and Wake Forest. I mean, you're talking about both are averaging 43 points a game. These guys are going to be firing on all cylinders, both offenses right at 500 yards a game. So I can't wait to see it. It's going to be such a fun game in Charlotte. The huddle will be there live. We're doing a show Friday And then, of course, all day Saturday, we'll have great coverage for you guys. So just to give you guys a little peek, what we're going to be doing on the podcast here Wednesday, previewing Pittsburgh. So we're going to have a Pittsburgh-related guest. I'm not going to tell you who it is. You're going to have to tune in. We'll probably announce it Tuesday night. We'll have a Pittsburgh-related guest. 
And then on Friday, we'll dive into Wake Forest and have a Wake Forest-related guest and really just give you guys every single angle of both of these teams, how they can win, if they win, what are they going to have to do, and then kind of moving forward. We'll look ahead a little bit as well. So, Kelly, I cannot wait to break down this game because there's so many fascinating parts to it. Mac, this is probably going to be the best actual ACC championship game since 2016. That's Clemson what I was thinking. Tech. Come on. It's going to be the best game since then. We've had blowouts. Clemson's blown out everyone, even Notre Dame, who beat them earlier in the season last year. So I think that part's going to be really fun. We have an excellent quarterback matchup. We have an excellent coaching matchup. We have two incredible wide receiver cores. We've got Jordan yeah. Addison and A.T. Perry. We've got two defenses that at times have underwhelmed, but Pitt's defense has looked a lot better. Wake, they look. They, they looked alive against Boston College. I know BC <laughs> has had the flu and all that stuff, and we'll get into that game. But I think this game is going to be so much fun. I'm, I'm truly excited for it. I, I do too, and I think exactly what you said is why it's going to be so fun. We don't know who's going to win. When have we gone into the ACC championship and thought, okay, this can be a game? Now, it certainly was. You know, In 15 and in 16, it was certainly great games. But going into it, you probably didn't think that it, it would be. Now, I think there's a legitimate chance for, for both of these guys, and, and that's what just makes this so much fun. It, it is a toss-up in my eyes. We will break all of that down, guys, and tell you maybe which way we're leaning and probably give you our picks Friday. So Wake Forest, you get the picks. We'll break all that down, and I, I just can't wait to jump into it. It's going to be a fantastic game. Mac, before we get into our big three, we should at least mention some of the coaching nonsense that is happening because I think it trickles down and affects the ACC. Billy Napier, hired by Florida. Lincoln Riley, we just got word this evening, is officially leaving Oklahoma for Southern Cal. I, I, I just said that sentence and I didn't believe it. That's crazy <laughs> to me. So then these other spots have to be filled. LSU still has to be filled. Virginia Tech is sitting there wondering who are their best uh, possible um, hires here. Duke is open. We've talked about Duke and who could end up there. And Oklahoma's open now. And, and could that be a possible spot for a Mark Stoops? Maybe a Brent Venables. Is Clemson going to have to try to protect all those coordinators? It's such a fascinating carousel right now in college football. It really is. And I, I want to start with Duke, KG, just because I love Coach Cutcliffe so much and, and so much respect for him. And, and really, I'm glad we did what we did on the huddle because we wanted to kind of give you know him his flowers just in case something like this happened. And, and we wanted to you know almost give a whole segment to Cutcliffe and, and talk about his accomplishments and what he has done for Duke. And you know, I, I think at the end of the day, now I'm not a Duke historian and someone who's listening, please don't bash me with a bunch of stats, but I don't think there's anybody in the history of Duke football who has done more for the program than Cutcliffe has in regards to facilities, in regards to personnel, the, the buy-in from administration, the fact that surely, yes, it is a basketball school and that will always probably be the case, but you kind of look at Duke football and we're like, okay, they're figuring some things out. They're making some things happen. When I played at Duke one time, they had a track around their field, guys. And, and the things that Cutcliffe was able to do there, I'm happy that it's, it seems to be on each other's terms and it's mutual and, and he gets to step away in retirement. And you know maybe there's an, another avenue that he pursues if he still wants to do something with coaching. But, man, he, he just did so much for that university. Such a great man. I'm so sad to see him go, but happy and hopeful uh, that he has found, found uh, peace 
in this decision. For sure, Mac. And, you know, you look at Duke being ranked in the playoff poll early on in the, in the era of the college football playoff. They won the Coastal. They played for an ACC title. These are things that not, you know, you can't just put anyone there. And he can do that at Duke. Now, of course, Steve Spurrier did coach at Duke, was there for just a couple of years, used it as a, a bouncing off point. But Cutcliffe was there for so long. And like you said, really made, made Duke, made the administration pay more attention to football and take football seriously. And whoever takes this job, whoever gets this job, is really going to stand on his shoulders because they are going to enter a place that is taking football more seriously. So I think that's his legacy in a lot of respects. No question about it. Then I want to move on to Billy Napier and really Virginia Tech because I think this is a huge miss. Number one by LSU. Mm. I think LSU should have wrapped him up immediately, and they didn't. They're looking. Well, they for were some going splash. after Lincoln. They're looking for some splash hire that ultimately I think is going to be abysmal and uh, not going to be what they want at all. Virginia Tech, you had a shot. You had a chance to get them, and you didn't. I think they're going to regret that. I truly do. And you know whether they offered him, and maybe it wasn't what he wanted, or, or maybe you know Billy saw the, the Florida job open up and he halted all the breaks. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But really thought that that was a tremendous fit. And now for VT, it's going to be interesting to see where they go uh, You know because there's so many openings coming up. I think the list that you started with, uh, is going to be a little different now that there's other opportunities, there's other jobs. It's certainly going to be fascinating to see what happens at Virginia Tech. And then are there any other openings in the ACC that we might hear about maybe even after we record this podcast? This is kind of Black Sunday, if you will, where crazy stuff happens. I mean, coaches get the ax, coaches move on. So that there could be still some interesting things that develop you know, later on Sunday night as we are recording this. And you know, who knows? I think one thing to follow, guys, and I don't want to be negative. Love Manny Diaz. Think he deserves a job. Thinks he deserves another year at least. But if Rhett Lashley moves on, goes to SMU, I think there's a real shot that Manny is no longer the coach at Miami. I think that that is the silver lining, is that we're selling the future, we're selling the offense, and if the offense leaves, things could get really weird in Coral Gables. Great point. It's, it's fascinating because it feels like the carousel, you keep seeing spots open. And when as these other schools open, you feel like Virginia Tech at times is missing their window. You feel like they need to lock someone in, find their guy, right. because now Oklahoma's open, right? If you're looking at someone and now, well, Oklahoma's available. So compare that to Virginia Tech. We know that's not really a comparison right now. It's going to be fascinating. If other things break during ACC Championship Week, we will discuss. We'll be very focused on the game, though. And let's get to these games, Mac. Let's break down what happened in all of these crazy football games this weekend. Let's start with the Friday game. This game was just stupid. This game was flat-out stupid. North Carolina and NC State. You picked NC State. I picked North Carolina. I felt great, Mac. I felt great <laughs> until basically you, with there the was last two second. minutes left in the game, you felt fantastic, yeah, right? I thought, oh, man, look, I called this. Perfect. How are you feeling towards the end, Mac? Because NC State found a way, and I just don't even I, – I, it's tough to comprehend how they were able to win this game. Uh, I think emotional roller coaster is yes. the, the best way to describe it. And, and really a funny thing to look at is the, the ESPN kind of predictor where it shows win probability, and it's at North Carolina 100% with two minutes left. And then it's screeching halt. And goes the exact opposite way to NC State. And, uh, you know, a, a friend of the show, Scotty McCreary, uh, put on his Instagram, he, he took a snapshot of that 
and put the famous meme, famous video. It's not a meme. It's a video. Put it in reverse, Terry. Back it up. And that's Back exactly it up, Terry. That's exactly what NC State did and, and just found a way to win. I mean, it was so, it was almost like you expected it if it was the other way. Like if, if NC State had the 100% probability with two minutes left, I'd be like, all right, Sam Howell's going to be Sam Howell. He's going to find a way to get this dub. But it was Devin Leary who all season long in the fourth quarter – has absolutely delivered. I mean, his QBR when the fourth quarter starts is tremendous. His production, his lack of turnovers, his touchdown ratio when it is the fourth quarter is berserk. And and he just plays out of his mind. It's so fun to watch. Became the single-season touchdown passing record holder. He passed Phillip Rivers, had four touchdowns in this game. Emeka Amezi went nuts. It was so good to see him really Post three minutes left in the game, that's when Emeka said, okay, I guess I'll show up and start playing. Uh, But just to see the way NC State was able to do this and and started off hot, gave up a huge lead, and then never quit. Just really a great year from the Wolfpack. And, you know, you talk about really it should be NC State blowing it because that's their history. But this season, North Carolina has blown so many games. It's really troubling and puzzling The NC State game, they blew it late. Pittsburgh game, they totally should have won that game. Notre Dame, they at least they lost by 10. I'm looking at 10-point losses or less. They didn't blow that game, but they were definitely in it. They lost by 10 to Florida State. You can't find a way to beat Florida State at home. They we know, of course, the Georgia Tech game was a blowout. And then they blew it late against Virginia Tech. So it's just so odd. And now it almost feels like you're restarting because we assume Sam Howell's moving on. We don't know for a fact, but we assume that he is. And you've got to find a way to rebuild when you're losing one of the best quarterbacks in the history of your school. And it feels like you have nothing to build on from this season. That's the problem. Yeah, and it's really tough, especially when you just kind of look how the game ended there. You know, UNC is on the goal line. They're, they're on the three-yard line and run, you know, three passing plays back to back to back. And, and did they work? Yeah. Was there a PI that should have been called? Probably. Was there a couple of drop touchdowns? Yes, but why not do the surefire thing and run your fullback slash quarterback and let him get in the end zone? And, and so I thought that that was really interesting, you know, not getting a touchdown there that ultimately would have sealed the game. Um, Tar Heel fans will also say there was a couple of penalties that ended that game that, you know, were very questionable and probably, you know, shouldn't have been called. And if they aren't called, you know, North Carolina wins the game. But as you mentioned, Kelly, just moving forward, moving to 22. You know, recruiting has been fantastic. I think that Tar Heel fans can certainly be excited about, you know, the future and these young guys growing up and, and you know, trying to step into positions. But a lot of uncertainty, playmaker-wise, who's going to be the guy at QB? You know, we can sit here and say Drake may, but we haven't seen it on the field. Haven't seen this coaching staff really give him the keys, whether they're playing uh, a game of not wanting someone to transfer or stay in. You know, how do we please everybody? Um, and, and then just some of these other skill players that are going to move on. It's going to be very interesting to see spring ball. Where does this team go? Do they hit the transfer portal market again? You know, how do they fill some of these gaps? And are there any coaching changes? You know, position coaches. I, th- I don't think Mac certainly is not going anywhere, but position coaching wise, are there any changes there? So going to be a very yeah. interesting offseason for Carolina. And perhaps a very interesting bowl game as well. We can't forget about that. And NC State, a great year for NC State. There's no doubt about it. Nine and three. 
They're going to play in a really good bowl game. But they were knocked out of winning the Atlantic by the Deeks. Let's talk about Wake Forest beating Boston College, just dominating them, Eric McLean, 41-10. to 10. And I know BC was dealing with some sickness, dealing with the flu. Phil Dracovic only practiced once, one day out of a week of preparation. And he walked us through what his preparation's like to, to, when he was on our podcast. To only have one day is very tough. But I, I still thought Wake was the better team. They got it done. And what a moment. What, what an accomplishment for Wake Forest to win the Atlantic. No question. I mean, massive for these guys to get 10 wins, win the division, take care of business, and, and just get it done. And the way that they were able to really just put an, an exclamation point on their season after getting physically whipped by Clemson. You know, I was really interested to see how was Wake going to perform in this game. You know, were they going to be limping into this game? Were they going to be reflecting on the rear view and thinking about that? You know, or were they going to be able to move on and, and be a, a a big time team that, you know, veteran led and experienced that can look in the rear view for a moment, but then just focus on that that windshield and keep going forward. And that's exactly what they did. Sam Hartman, just such a special player. I mean, super underrated nationally. We I, I feel like he does not get the love, you know, that he deserves or has earned. Uh just did it all for his team. 236 yards through the air, three touchdowns, and then 50 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Just Whatever it takes, he delivers for these guys. And, and the grit, uh, the, the experience that he has, it's so fun to watch. And every time we get to talk to him, you know, on the huddle, he, he always makes time for us and, you know, comes on there and just, he's a coach. He sounds like a coach on the field. Every time I talk to him, I'm like, man, this guy, he's got a bright future. I hope he plays in the NFL for a long time. But whenever he's done, man, he's going to be a heck of a coach and, uh, you know, really be a, be a bright spot in that. And then looking at Boston College, I mean, so many guys affected by the flu. Phil Dracovic just did not look himself at all. Three of 11 passing guys, had no power on the ball, really made a couple of silly decisions. And then, you know, I think play calling was pretty bad as well. Hmm. I mean, we're throwing deep posts. We're throwing go routes into 20-mile-an-hour wind. It, it was just a cluster of a day. All these bad things added up very quickly for Boston College. But Wake Forest, give them kudos for getting it done and taking advantage of that uh, division champs. First time since 06, now trying to play and win you know, an ACC championship. And BC, they have a lot to build on. We know Dracovic was hurt for a good portion of the year. They are bowl eligible. I think you use those bowl practices as a springboard to next year where Dracovic hopefully returns to Boston College. We both I think, think I think it would be will. silly at this point if he yeah. didn't. It, it would be a really just, I think, uneducated is the best way to say it. Cause yeah. if you leave now, uh, you, you're, you're just, you're leaving a lot on the bone and maybe even more than, more than that. I and, agree. You know, depending who comes back now, there's going to be a ton of turnover with the offensive line. You're looking at a minimum of, you know, three guys leaving with, with Zion Johnson, Alec Lindstrom, uh, big Ben Petrula. I can guarantee all those guys are gone. And then skill position wise, you know, who's coming back is Trey Barry, the big transfer tight end who caught a great touchdown coming back is Zay coming back uh Gill some of these other wide receivers if they do then I mean you're feeling really good you're feeling probably how we felt preseason about Boston College uh without the injury so going to be very interesting to follow the Eagles into this postseason and and to into you know spring offseason events and just see who is coming back for these guys 
And like we said, much more Wake discussion coming this week as we lead into the ACC championship game. Mac, let's talk about uh, our next game and our big three breakdown here. Virginia Tech and Virginia. Virginia Tech wins 29-24. There are very few things that are guaranteed in this life, Mac. (laughs) You're going to die. Sorry, that was very harsh. You're going to pay your taxes. Uh, Your, you know, things at times aren't going to go your way, right? And Virginia Tech's going to beat Virginia. I just, it's unbelievable, Mac. It frustrates me every year because I, I, I try to pick the team that has been better all year. And that was Virginia this year. But it just doesn't matter. I hate this doesn't game. Matter. doesn't make any sense I do ever. Too. I do too. And, and it's, you know, we're trying to throw Virginia a bone. We're, we think Brennan Armstrong's going to be who he is, which relatively was. He kind of had a, uh, a Kenny Pickett of old day. All these stats, all these numbers, but no touchdowns, no production, scoring the ball. Um, did run it, did run in for a couple of scores. But Virginia Tech just has your number. Sometimes there are teams that they just, you can't beat them. They just know what you do. They're going to do it better than you. They're going to play better that game than any other game that we see this year. And that was exactly what the Hokies did. Ran the ball, lights out. Honestly, what I thought that we could see from them all year long with that big offensive line, a mobile quarterback, a trio of running backs that you expect to see. But Blackshear, Burmeister, both going for 115-plus, scoring a touchdown, getting it done when they needed to. It was just impressive to see, and, and it's it's frustrating because why don't we see this every game? Why don't you, we see you play with this type of inspiration every game? Why don't we see you play with this amount of execution? Now, I get Virginia's defense is terrible, but I, I don't know. When you're averaging 10 yards a carry between a quarterback and a running back, you think that would translate to some other games, but it just didn't. Uh, the way the team played for J.C. Price, uh, I mean, th- the emotion from that, man after the game where he just said this is home this is my team these are my boys like it was it, awesome. it was so cool and, and I think what you see really in these situations KG where a former player takes over a team they just play inspired because when you have a guy who has been there done that you just respect it a little bit more mm-hmm. and, and a guy especially on either line of scrimmage that you know has literally bled sweat cried in this program, has walked those halls, has lifted weights in the same building as you, if he asks you to do it, he's already done it. So it's almost like you can take your game to a whole different level. will be interesting to see, does he have any type of shot at getting this job? You know, was this a nice little interview for him, and will the postseason be a nice interview for him and, and, and kind of a you know resume builder seeing, hey, hey, look what I can do. Look what we've done with this team. We're playing inspired football It'll be interesting to see, but you know, at the end of the day, KG, we probably should have known that this one was uh, was going to look like this. We, we should have, because this is what happens. And, you know, that's a very interesting thing about J.C. Price, and we know he played at Virginia Tech, and he's mm-hmm. been at a few different schools in Virginia as a coach. He was at Virginia Tech as a GA, then James Madison, then Marshall, and this past year, Virginia Tech, the uh, defensive line coach. I don't know if you give him a chance just because if you're Virginia Tech, I feel like you have to you have to approach this coaching search with the idea that you're I hate to say it this way, but you're better than that. Like you can go get a big name. It does give me kind of Dabo vibes a little bit. I mean, he's this guy's not even a coordinator, but 
and Dabo wasn't even a coordinator, and he's someone who loves your school. And the fact that they won that game, he gets one more chance to prove himself with a bowl game. I still don't think you can do that if you're Virginia Tech. I, it worked with Dabo, but it doesn't work anywhere else. That was a one-time thing. I still don't <laughs> think you can do this. Right, Mac? Am I crazy? No, I, I mean, it, it certainly is. It would raise eyebrows and probably get a lot of people upset. I, I will tell you this. The one thing that I can sit here and guarantee and, and you know, beat the table about is he better be on the next staff. Whoever comes yes, in as I the head coach. I completely agree with that. This better be a guaranteed hire because it's similar to Florida State and Odell Hagan's. You just keep yeah. those guys around. And ironically, it's the same position, defensive line. You just keep those guys around because as all those things I just mentioned – He's done everything you can do at Virginia Tech. He was an All-American. He was on the teams that you know created this amazing run with Beamer. He has the, the trust. He has the, I don't know. When you've done something, when you've been there and been successful, yeah. you don't want to get pedigree. rid of that guy. You don't, the pedigree. You don't want to get rid of that guy. I agree. He needs to be on the staff. Completely agree about that. And KG, when, when you look at Virginia in this game, Brennan Armstrong, we talked about it. He, he's just been freaky. Now, he threw for over 400 yards right at 400, but just couldn't get into the end zone. Um, but this was the sixth time that he's thrown for 400 or more yards. It, it's, it's incredible to see what he's done this year. There have only been one instance where he finished the game that he threw for under 350. I mean, he's electric. He, he's such a special player, so fun to watch. And really, we, we talked about kind of some coaching decisions for North Carolina. I did not like the play calling or the decision-making from Virginia to end this game where you are you're you don't punt the ball. I think there was three or four minutes left. You have all your timeouts, mm. and you go for it in your own territory, like at your own 30-yard line. I thought that was a terrible decision. And then when you're down on the goal line, you're trying to win a game, it's third down, and you're throwing a left tackle screen? Like – you have so many weapons all across at wide receiver at tight end, and we're going to throw it to an offensive lineman? Like, what, what are you th- – and I'm an offensive <laughs> – I love yeah. that. I want that. But this what the This is coming from an lineman. What are you doing? I mean, that's like a – maybe not fireable, but that's almost a fireable offense. I mean, it was a yeah. terrible decision, and I, I just didn't understand it. I didn't get it. I thought it was terrible management by – you know, the Virginia staff there to end that game. And really the last two drives, you march all the way down there and just, you can't do it. It it was shocking to say the least, but, you know, I I certainly think that there's a lot to build on for Virginia. Brennan coming back, I assume. uh, You you feel good about what he can do for your program. Well, speaking of six and six teams, let's talk about another six and six team. There's quite a few six and six teams in the ACC this year. That's what we do. Louisville. (laughs) Louisville, bruh, what was this? Mac and I both picked you, and I was I was embarrassed that I picked Louisville. Kentucky just rushed all over them. And Kentucky did a good job, Mac, which is kind of the kryptonite of containing Malik Cunningham. They they dominated. KG, as you just said, there's certain certainties in life. We should have known an eight and three Kentucky Wildcat team was going to steamroll. The team of mystery. Like, Kentucky that is has not Louisville. played well in a month and a half to defend ourselves. Sure, I hear you, <laughs> but also Louisville had just played uh, mighty Syracuse and mighty Duke, and we thought, oh, they're world true. beaters. They're the best team ever. We got so excited. 
from what we saw from those two awful teams that we're like, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. Great environment, 730 kick. It's going to be great. Louisville's going to just go to town. And uh, also what we should have known is anytime there is a running quarterback for Kentucky, Louisville just yes. forgets how to tackle running quarterbacks. Four touchdowns for the quarterback, Will Levis. I mean, he was unstoppable. Louisville just didn't know what to do. Guys' ankles were getting shattered. I'm watching the play actually right now on the little ESPN highlight. There was one play that Will Levis looked like Superman. He busts through the hole. He jukes out this defender who looks like he snapped both Achilles and tore both ACLs. Oh, no. And then, Kelly, he jumped clear over the safety. Yeah, he It's did. the craziest yeah, play did. I've ever seen. I mean, it's like... Is that Cam Jackson, Lamar Jackson, and Cam Newton combined? Like, who is this guy? It was unbelievable. That's how good Louisville made this guy look. They're doing L's down every touchdown he scores. I think they just rushed for another touchdown. Um, but, I mean, three straight games for Kentucky-Louisville that Kentucky has beat them by 30-plus points. That it's sounds like Clemson, unreal. Carolina, man. <laughs> We're about to get there. Don't worry. Uh <laughs> It's uh, it was nuts. It, it truly was. They they couldn't stop him. Couldn't do anything. Honestly, embarrassing. This, this staff still has yet to beat Kentucky. Um, I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting to see who comes back for Louisville. I think Malik comes back, and you certainly feel good about that and can build off that. But man, defense for the last three years just hasn't been a strong suit, and you have to figure something out on that side of the ball because it's it's just time after time. It's the same problems that we see arise for this team. It's very fitting that the team of mystery finishes six and six, right? I, I just feel like yes. that makes sense. You Flip never a coin, really knew. win or loss. Yeah. Oh, landed on win. Okay, great. You never really knew what you were going to get from Louisville. Mac, I feel like we all knew what was going to happen in Georgia, Georgia Tech. It's so interesting when you look at this game. There were no turnovers on either side, there were truly very few penalties. Georgia didn't commit a single penalty. Georgia just lined up and just beat. Georgia Tech's brains in. I mean, that's really the only way to describe it. It was scary. I thought Georgia <laughs> Tech was scared. Uh, you know, yeah, when, you, they when were. you look at when you look at Georgia, they're just playing at, at such a high level. I mean, they're so fun to watch. It, it's just a machine. I mean, the way that they do stuff, and I mean, Brock Bowers, my goodness, freshman tight end, freaky as you would say, freaky. I mean, he, he's running a slant, and somehow is running away from every single person on the entire defense. He's a tight end. He's a true friend. He's 17 years old. He's probably 18 or 19, but still. He's a young kid, and he's sprinting away from the entire team. I'm like, who is that? Is that uh, Christian McCaffrey out there? No, it's a tight end. <laughs> and, you uh, need to get your vision checked because you're thinking all these guys are like NFL superstars. <laughs> <laughs> that's just right. I think everybody everybody's a first-round <laughs> draft pick. Everybody's a superstar. It's just that's what I do. Um, but it's just George has been great all year long. Running backs were fantastic. Stetson Bennett, I mean, we call him a game manager. This dude's a gamer. He, he just figures it out. He really does. I mean, the throws that he makes, the plays he makes in space, it's very Ian Book-ish, but maybe a little bit more grit, maybe? or, or It's a pretty good comparison. Just the way that he plays. And, of course, this defense. I mean, Georgia Tech, what? They, they passed the 50-yard the line maybe twice, three times at best? Uh, Barely. Yeah, Georgia just, whatever they wanted to do defensively, they could. And, you know, I don't think that. Honestly, Kelly, I think they're going to murder Alabama. A lot of people think that game's going to be close. And maybe it will be. But I think this Georgia team is just so different that they're just going to steamroll these guys on Saturday. 
What's interesting is after watching this whole weekend, I almost feel like the team that can give Georgia the best fight, even though you'd think you want a passing team to challenge that secondary because Georgia's front seven is so good. A team that can match Georgia's toughness. Is it Michigan? Michigan. That's what I said. That's what I think like, the national what year championship is it? Is it the, is it the 80s right. and the 90s? Michigan <laughs> and Georgia? It's 1981, and we're running the power into you know exactly. 12 defenders on the line of scrimmage. That's if what the national championship If only Michigan could play this potential national title in Ann Arbor when it's 22 when degrees it's outside snowing, snowing. When it's yeah. snowing. Yeah, yeah. Then they would be, they'd be feeling good. But, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> It will. And no, I look, Georgia's better than Alabama. The, the only difference you have here is you kind of have a little bit of that element of Bama always finds a way. We've seen that in some of these other rivalries. So can Georgia get over that hump? And I'll tell you one thing that's going to be very different about this Alabama team. Their offensive line is not very good. Oh, it's and rough. They have and they been, couldn't run the ball at all yeah, against Auburn. I mean, Bryce has gotten blasted, Bryce Young, a ton. And Georgia is coming. I guarantee they're going to bring that pressure and they're going to shut down the run. So maybe if they have some quick slants, some, you know, get the ball out quickly, roll the protection, get your quarterback moving, you know, maybe there's a shot to get these great skill players that Bama has the ball. But Man, I just think that Georgia's plan defensively is going to be just attacking at all times. I agree. All right, let's get to another one of these ACC-SEC games. Obviously, Kentucky was better than Louisville. Obviously, Georgia's better than Georgia Tech. Obviously, Clemson better than Carolina. We'll get to that. But Florida State-Florida was a toss-up until the end. Now, Florida was in control. Florida State did have a late touchdown. But that first half... Florida State played well. They forced turnovers. They were able to move the ball. They just couldn't get in the end zone. And then you had just a whiff of a second half where they didn't play well. And then you had the whiff on the onside kick attempt that was so embarrassing. Overall, I thought Florida State played pretty well. I mean, they didn't play great. (laughs) Neither of these teams are good. But this was the most disappointing of the ACC-SEC losses, right? It really was, and this was a game that you thought that you know Florida State could really succeed in, run the ball effectively, and Florida just turned up. I mean, they they played probably better than we've seen the last three or four games, maybe even longer than that, and you know just were inspired. And of course, there was an altercation as we all probably expected mm. before the game. Both teams fired up, jacked up, making big time plays, but you know there were a couple of really key events for Florida State. Number one was. You know, the, the muff punt, you know, not catching the punt, not just letting it roll away uh, and, and able to capitalize on that. The second was the interception. It, it was just two plays that were almost overwhelming. And then really the third thing, KG, three interceptions by Florida in the first half, and you only get points out of one of those. You, you have to capitalize when a team gives you the ball, when you get extra opportunities, and Florida State just wasn't. Now, when you look at the the season for Florida State, I think Knowles fans should be uh, optimistic. I think yeah. you should feel good about how your team finished five and three to end the season after a horrific start that could have just been so bad. I mean, everybody writing these guys off when they're zero and four after losing to Jacksonville State and just thinking it's over. Whole staff's going to be fired. Everybody's probably going to transfer. It's a wrap. Uh, but these guys turned it around. They rallied as a team. I thought it was a great job by this coaching staff to make sure that happened, to adjust fire and call plays differently, figure out their identity, which was to run the ball, and then ultimately the trust of Jordan Travis, letting him throw the ball downfield, letting him orchestrate this offense the way that only he can. And I think you should be excited about that. I think if Florida State can really go in and center everything 
around Jordan Travis, as my man EJ Manuel said, they've got a shot. They, they really do. Get him in the weight room, get him jacked up, get some more playmakers in here, maybe go get some offensive linemen and just center it all around him. You've got a good shot to make it happen next year. I agree. I think he improved throughout the year. I think he can continue to improve as a passer, but he's an electric playmaker. And the bottom line is if you beat Jacksonville State, you're in a bowl. Crazy and to that would have yeah, it's it's absurd. And and that would have been a huge step in the right direction. So in many ways you 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 had a season similar to a bowl eligible team. That's the nicest way of saying you still only won five games, but you definitely feel better about Florida State. I feel so much yeah. better about them next year. I think depending on what their schedule looks like, because they always seem to have a tough schedule, you can hope for seven, maybe eight wins in a very, very good year. So that's a great sign for Florida State moving forward. All right, Mac, two games left. We're going to save Clemson, Carolina for the end. But let's talk about Pittsburgh and Syracuse. Pittsburgh handles their business. A little bit of a slow start. And Kenny Pickett had a very good day. He officially passed Dan Marino's record for touchdown passes in a season. And so far this year, he's at he's over 4,000 yards passing, over 40 touchdowns. There are only two other quarterbacks in ACC history to have 4,000 yards passing and 40 touchdowns, 40 passing touchdowns in a season. Jameis Winston, Deshaun Watson. And those two dudes did it with postseason games. Kenny Pickett did that in the regular season. Get this man to New York. This isn't hard, Mac. And I'm not talking Syracuse, New York. I'm talking New York, New York. <laughs> he should have just stayed there, right? He, he should yeah. have booked a hotel, went over to the big city, and uh, demanded to get into that Heisman Trophy uh, uh, award show there. I, I think it's incredible, guys, to see what Kenny Pickett has done, how he has done it. Every single number that he has is better than ever in his career. His completion percentage is up to 68, 4,000 yards. He's averaging nine yards a throw, 40 touchdowns. He has more touchdowns this year than his entire year or in his entire career. Every year combined, he has more touchdowns this year. And that's what I called for. If you guys remember preseason, I said, listen, Kenny, to go to the next level, we need that production. We need you to get the ball into the end zone. 13, 12, 1, ain't going to do it. 40, that'll do it. That'll check it out. And the way that he's not turning the ball over, he's so effective with the football. It's just fun to watch, honestly. I have not had more fun watching a quarterback than to see Kenny Pickett just dealing every single game. The consistency has been lights out. And then to see a guy like Jordan Addison you know, be his go-to guy. Anytime he needs anything, he can go to number three, and be a huge time pickup. It's just, it's been impressive to see this Pitt team. I can't wait to watch Pitt Wake Forest in the championship to see that continued offensive success for both of these guys. But this is where I'm going to think the difference is coming. Pittsburgh's defense is turning it up right now. Mm -hmm. They held Sean Tucker to two yards a rush, 29 total yards. They put the clamps on him. Garrett Schrader, negative two yards. Guys, this pit defense made a big-time statement. I know the offense was kind of sleepwalking a little bit here, only scoring 31 only. Uh, but listen, the defense is figuring it out, and this team is really starting to play their best football at the right time. Now, I get it, Syracuse. I get it's maybe not the best sample size, but next week surely will be. There's no doubt that the Pitt defense is the stronger unit on that side of the ball when you're comparing Pitt and Wake Forest. And so it, it really just depends on what kind of fight Wake's defense can put up. 
And then, of course, it's going to come down to quarterback play and these amazing wide receivers. We'll get into all that throughout the week. Mac, our final game. Our favorite game from the weekend, I would say, collectively. It is, we're recording this on seven, at 727 on November 28th, that's PM, and South Carolina still has not scored. All right, y'all, <laughs> this was 30 to zero, and I tweeted this out knowing that old takes exposed could find me or whatever, but after the first two South Carolina series, offensive series, I tweeted out, I don't think South Carolina is going to score. They, it just, it wasn't going to happen. Clemson's defense, you're talking about turning it up, Clemson's defense has been on lock. I think the Wake Forest game was just, it was huge for Clemson in so many different ways, but I think specifically in, from an internal confidence and momentum standpoint, it was, it was incredibly important. And then on the offensive side, you see Clemson running the ball at will. This game just, it wasn't close from the jump. It really wasn't. And this is what we, we expected, right? When we told you guys what to look for in this game, the game plan would be very similar to Wake Forest offensively. Run the football. That's exactly what Clemson did with their running backs averaging right at eight yards per carry. Those guys were electric all night long. Will Shipley, man, we had him on last week. We found out how special he is as a person and then got to see it on full display as a player. I mean, that 30-yard run, that first touchdown that he had, it was special. You hit the hole, find the the open gap, make a cut, and then turn on the Jets, and he's running through guys and, and just looks so impressive, 128 yards in a hostile environment against a, an SEC-caliber defense. But when you look at, at just the overall performance by this defense, it was lights out. There was nothing that South Carolina could do. And we told you guys, listen, that's, that's the second-worst offense in the SEC. We, we knew there wasn't going to be a pulse from them. And can Clemson capitalize? And that answer was absolutely yes. So the one thing to remember is that Clemson was out without Brian Brzee without Xavier Thomas, without keep going. The list keeps going. Could you imagine what it would look like if those star players were playing? So that's just what this team does. They get better as time goes on. Uh, It's interesting enough, Kelly, I think I brought this up last week, but this might be Coach Dabo Sweeney's best coaching job that he's done, that he's had to do Mm -hmm. with all the adversity, with all the craziness that has happened this year, and somehow – to be on the verge of a 10-win season when everybody in the world counted these Tigers out. It's been fascinating to see. And your three losses, as we've said all year, have come to three ranked teams. One of them is the number one team in the country. One of them just won the Coastal and very well could win the league. And then the other one is NC State on the road, who's had a very good season. So those are your three losses. And, I mean, the other – the main thing with Clemson, Mac, is still just the passing game is – Virtually non-existent. Now, look, it it was better against Wake. I think Clemson shut it down for the second half. They knew they could just keep running the ball, win the game, get out of there. But the wide receiver injuries have piled up so much. You're you're really rolling with at this point Bo Collins and Dakari Collins, who are both freshmen. Will Brown, who I believe was a former walk-on, and Ajo Ajo, who's a sophomore, and coach's son, Will Sweeney. Like this is what you're rolling with. <laughs> So it'll be interesting when you look at the bowl matchup, whomever Clemson gets matched up with, if this team is really good at taking away the run, how will this passing offense emerge? I'm, I'm intrigued for this bowl matchup to see who Clemson gets. I, I am too. And just to see really all these, I think this is going to be a great bowl season for starters. Yeah. But for Clemson specifically, do they get some guys back health-wise? You know, that there is about a month in between 
uh, that Clemson not used to having. You know, they're they're used to practicing this week and getting after the ACC championship. So, what guys do they get back? What guys opt out? Does do, do does Clemson have that? Xavier Thomas announced on Sunday that he will be playing in the bowl game. So you you have one there that might have been in question, but you know just to see this team continue to get better. I think they're playing you know as good a football as anybody in the ACC right now, and you've seen them marginally get better each and every week. Uh, moving forward, though, going into this offseason, it's going to be interesting to see if any changes happen. Does a Brent Venables go to Oklahoma? Does he? Do they give him an offer he cannot refuse? You know, I think that he certainly, you know, loves to be a defensive coordinator, is very happy where he is. But, you know, people forget he was there for quite some time and very successful at Oklahoma. It's hard when home comes calling uh, and and has something of that magnitude to to say no to. So, you know, Clemson could be facing a little bit of adversity with coaching changes. What do they do themselves eternally? Uh, It's going to be an interesting season, an offseason, excuse me, for you know, the Tigers and just seeing what they look like in 22. I feel like there's going to be so much to discuss with both of these coordinators probably having their names up for other jobs. You've got the quarterback conversation with DJU and Cade Klubnick coming in. The running back position is is pretty much secure, but that's about it because of all the seniors and all the older guys you're losing defensively. So we will get into all that when we break down the seasons for each team. We'll be doing that after bowl season. And Mac, I know before we get out of here, we wanted to tease a little something for the listeners. I'm going to let you do that. (laughs) That was a great alley-oop there, KG. I appreciate it. (laughs) Uh, Guys, we have a really, really fun new partner coming to the podcast. You are not going to want to miss it. We will announce that on Tuesday. So we'll we'll be on the lookout for that. We'll be sharing that on Twitter. Cannot wait to share the news. We are jacked up and really excited for this partner and all that it's going to entail. There's going to be some really unique things happening on the Gramlick and Mac Lane podcast here in the next couple of weeks, uh, but we can't tell, wait to tell you all about it. Guys, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, go over to iTunes, follow our podcast, drop us a little five-star rating or write us a review. We would greatly appreciate that, but until next time, we'll see you all.